And we're reading the whole of John chapter 9, so it's 41 verses. Uh, To keep our focus as we read it, I would love for you as uh, you listen or read along to consider the different people that Jesus encounters and to consider where they are in their spirits, in their thinking, in their hearts at the start of the story and where Jesus brings them to. Across the story, uh, you'll see the disciples, you'll see this man born blind, you'll see the Pharisees, you'll see uh, the blind man's parents. Uh, Consider them as we read. Uh, The words are also on the screen for us. This is John 9, 1 to 41. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But now, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began had it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Amen. Now, with uh, such a long passage, and you may have, uh, as you heard it read, seen so many different uh, themes and elements come up that are, that are quite important to us. Uh, truthfully, uh, I would love to be able to preach four or five sermons from this passage. There's one particular sermon from this passage I'm very grateful to not be preaching. Uh, but there are so many different things for us to understand and get to. One such way to get to more of those is to go back into the Hillview archives uh, Jonathan Groves preached on this, it must be in the summer of 2021, um, preached on this passage. So you can go back and listen to that. But the way I want us to see and hear and read this passage today is through the lens of how I asked us to read it. It is by looking at the characters in the story, where are they and how are they at the start and where are they and how are they at the end? And how is it that Jesus takes them from one place to the other. Those characters that we will see, the disciples who appear only in verses 1 and 2, the blind man and Jesus' healing of him, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees in the latter half of the passage, and then we will also see that it is not just a physical healing, but a spiritual healing that takes place. Those first characters are the first ones we're introduced to in verses 1 and 2. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? If you're to picture the scene, you'll have Jesus walking along with his disciples, and at the side of the road, there is this man born blind. Uh, we see uh, slightly later on in our passage that he is a beggar. As would many uh, of the severely disabled of the day, they would be beggars. There was no, uh, not enough welfare or compassion in the state to provide for them. And so they would sit uh, all day by the roadside begging in desperate needs 
relying on the compassion and mercy of others just to get by day to day. As you picture Jesus and the disciples walking past this man, how horrifying and wicked a picture it is that the disciples, as they look on this man, born blind, begging, and say, has this man sinned to make that happen? Or has this man's parents sinned to make that happen? Not a hint or a sense of compassion or mercy of love. Just trying to find what is the reason that this man is suffering. Is it just his sin? That their attitude towards him would be so wicked that they look at him suffering and think it must be his fault. He is the one who has sinned. And then we don't see the disciples again in our story, but we know that they are there with Jesus. They are watching. They are seeing Jesus healing. They're seeing Jesus' interaction. And we don't get at the end of the story, the disciples have now, oh, they've changed their minds and they realize they need to look on compassion, look on these uh, people in need with compassion. But if you were to look uh, through the rest of the lives of the disciples, if you were to look at the other gospels, if you were to look at the stories in Acts, you'll see that an encounter such as this completely transformed the way the disciples looked on those in need. Rather than looking down on them as potential sinners, they looked on people in need as people to have compassion on. I'll read a few verses from Acts 5. This is the apostle Peter, uh, as there are people in need before him. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." The disciples who looked on a man suffering and saw his sin have been transformed by Jesus to look on those who are suffering and offer healing in Jesus' name. Last week in the sermon, Martin mentioned the idea of the perma-crisis. And we know as we look around at all the things that are happening across the world and in our own country, that the neediness of people is becoming more and more exposed. For many who had maybe previously tried to hide their needs, hiding need has become impossible. As people are faced with so much need to pay energy bills, or to stay healthy, or to stay happy, we are confronted all the time with people in such desperate need. And we are, as a church, able to do some wonderful things about that. To offer uh, the warm welcome spaces to invite uh, those in without question or without judgment to have a cup of tea and a warm space. Uh, We know that as a church, uh, when we go from this place, there are so many who go and offer compassion to those around them. But there is a danger potentially, uh, not just for us, but for the whole world around us, as we see people suffering, to for some reason come to these questions of thinking, Oh, they're suffering. They must have mismanaged their money. They must have had kids too young. They must have done something wrong to be suffering like this. 
Or as we walk around streets doing Christmas shopping and we see people sitting there begging for money, to look down and say, well, if I gave them money, they'll just waste it. They must have done something wrong to put themselves in that position. Jesus, as he shows the disciples and as he shows us, calls us to look on those who are suffering with nothing but compassion and love and to do all we can to love them. Jesus did what he could in that he healed the man. What has he given us? How has he equipped us to look on those who are suffering with compassion and to do something about it? He's given us this building that we are opening. He has given us money. He has given us smiles. He has given us time. Gifts that he can send us out of this place to a world of needs and to meet those needs. To bring compassion and love to those who are needy. This man who was begging was probably ignored by so many for his whole life. This, the conversations we have recorded with him here are probably the most human interaction he's ever had in a day before. Uh, people, the Pharisees, other Jews, uh, the disciples have all come to see him and to speak to him. His previous life of being ignored has been changed because he's been healed. But again, there's a challenge to us that we do not interact with the needy and only value them because of their potential to be healed. But as we look on those who are struggling, whatever it may be, they in that very moment are somebody so infinitely loved and valued by God, made in his image, that they are not to be loved just because of their potential to be healed. They are loved because they are made in the image of God. The disciples go from an attitude of looking down on the needy to one day looking with compassion. Now the second figure I want us to look at is the man born blind and his healing that he receives in verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he, being Jesus, spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Like most of the stories of healings we have in the Bible, the the actual amount of verses spent describing the healing is quite short. Uh, Though we think as an event this is the most wonderful thing that we want to pay all our attention to, uh, it's condensed quite a lot for us. But there's an extra element added to the story and the description of this healing that we don't often get in others. That is, that Jesus spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and rubbed it on the man's eyes. Uh, This is not some sort of healing manual for us, that if we were to go out and do this, we would have great success in seeing people healed. But Jesus does it in this way to reveal something about who he is. Uh, You'll remember, and we have banged on about this for ages, that this book of John is written so that people may see and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus heals the man in this way with the mud in his eyes to reveal that he is God's. Because this story points us back, and I keep referencing in most of my John sermons, back to Genesis and forward to Revelation. This points us back towards the Genesis 2 account of creation. Genesis 2, 7 says these things. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
For those familiar with God, listening uh, to this now or witnessing this story at the start, as they hear Jesus healing, if you like recreating through mud, they are drawn straight back to God's initial creation of the world. Uh, we are coming up to Christmas time, uh, and one of the uh, exciting things out of so many exciting things about Christmas time is you get to see Santa all around the place. Uh, now we have seen uh, Santa in various different ways over years on adverts, uh, maybe in person if you're incredibly fortunate. And we know exactly what Santa looks like. We spend so much time looking at him uh, that we'll know there's the, the white beard, uh, there's the red outfit, there's the boots, there's the, there's the belts. There's the reindeer, there's the sleigh. We spend so much time looking at him that we probably only actually need to see one part of Santa to be able to go and say, oh yeah, there's Santa. That if we were to see just a long white beard, unless we were uh, huge Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings fans, our thoughts would be, oh yeah, there's Santa. For those who are so acquainted with God and what he looks like and what he does, as they see a man healing, recreating through using mud, they go, oh yeah, there's God. This man doing the healing, this is not just a man with special powers, this is God himself. And in his sending Jesus, and we thought about this when we thought about Jesus as the light of the world, he is recreating the world. Though he created the world initially and it was good, he declared that we as people were very good, we are very aware that this is a world that has been marred by sin and is currently broken. Yet God in his compassion and love for the world did not want to leave the world in such a way. But his sending Jesus is showing that he is recreating the world. He is remaking it. So that this man who was born blind will not stay so but he will see again. This blind man is taken from a life of begging and of not seeing to be a man who sees. Then Jesus comes to interact with the Pharisees. The Pharisees appear first in verse 13 and are there for most of our passage. I won't read uh, their whole interaction again, but I'll read from verse 24 to 34, and we'll see how Jesus interacts with them. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. 
They are convinced that Jesus, who has done this healing, cannot possibly be from God. And the reason that they give, which may actually only form a small part of their thinking, is that he did this healing on the Sabbath. They have such a, a, a theology and an idea of the Sabbath that even the idea of somebody in compassion meeting the needs of somebody so desperate, they would find to be sinful and completely wrong. They're unable to recognize who Jesus is. And so rather than greet this man who's been healed with joy and celebration, uh, they greet him with scorn and they reject him. They end up casting him out even. And the heart, or their heart, is most revealed to us in verse 34. That which maybe they're meant to just keep in their heads, they finally say out loud. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. The Pharisees, it's clear, are the blind ones here. Ironically, this is probably the only true thing they say in the passage. They say to him that you were born in utter sin. But they are completely blind to the fact that they could also say that to the mirror and be accurate. They too, like all of us and all who have been before us, are born in utter sin. We can read and say Psalm 51 with David and echo the words where he says that truly he was brought forth in iniquity. That there are none among us and there were none then who walked righteously who did not live a life opposed to God. And that idea, believing that, ought to level us all, to make it impossible for us to look upon anyone struggling uh, with life or struggling with sin and say, I am so much better than you because we know that we are all uh, come from the same place and that we would all remain in that place of being in utter sin were it not for the grace of the Lord Jesus in opening our eyes to see him. The Pharisees were just as sinful as anybody else around them, but they were blind to it. And so their blindness to it kept them from coming to Jesus. The prerequisite for coming to Jesus is not sorting everything out. It is not being perfect. It is just admitting your need. We all have that need. The question we need to ask is, do we recognize it? Maybe there's a point in our lives where we feel like we recognize our need of him most. We realize maybe for the first time that we are a sinner. But maybe that's been so long ago that we forget that we are so needy each and every day. That each and every day we fall short of the standard of Jesus Christ. And yet we are still so desperately in need of him. Our being born in utter sin and our constant sin and our need of him is not something, though, that would drive Jesus away. The Pharisees, upon seeing sin, upon seeing uh, this man who they thought was a terrible sinner, would keep their distance. They would naturally move away from him, uh, look down upon him. Jesus Christ, as he looks on us, a sinful people, does not move away from us, but instead came all the way to us. All the way to us, all the way to the cross to die for us. 
That it would be such a love that he would have for a people in need that he would give up his life to save us. That though we rejected him, he accepted us. There are needs we cannot meet for ourselves and for others. This blind man could not heal his blindness. We cannot save ourselves from our sins, but we do not have to because Jesus Christ has done it for us. And there are so many other needs that we and others have that we cannot meet. There are those things that they say are certain in life, death, taxes, and Scotland losing to the All Blacks this afternoon. And there is simply nothing we can do about those things. As we remember uh, today, on Remembrance Sunday, the reality that death is unavoidable for so many. There are stories we may have heard and pictured, stories uh, from the war of people fighting for years, waiting, then going uh, over the ladder of the trenches, walking for 10 yards and being shot down. There are so many for whom the reality of death was not a distant reality, but it imposed themselves on them. We remember, too, that the reality of death is something that faces us all as part of our church family. And there are many in the world afraid of death, doing everything they desperately can uh, to stave it off. But even a, a, a life eating only the best foods, getting all the best medical care, could maybe extend life for 10 or 15 years. But death comes to us all. But even that need of healing from death is a need that Jesus meets for us too. That we worship a risen king. And so by knowing that he has risen from the dead, we trust that he is Lord and conqueror of death. That though we could do nothing about the death that will come to us, Jesus has done it. And so we can trust that he will heal our bodies one day and raise us to live with him. The other, uh, was well, back to the second character. The other story I want us to see through our passage is how the blind man was not just healed physically, but he was healed spiritually. Uh, you may have noticed as we read it that there are four different times that the blind man declares who Jesus is. The first one is verse 11. In describing his healing, the blind man called, says, it was the man called Jesus. Knows very little about him, just his name. In verse 17, the, blind, the formerly blind man declares he is a prophet. A slightly stronger admission, thinking that this man is uh, in some way sent by God and speaks from God. In verse 33, in talking to the Pharisees, the man declares that this was a man from God. And in verse 38, Jesus uh, asks him, who he says he is. And the blind, formerly blind man agrees and says, Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Son of Man. And he worshipped him. Jesus took him on a, on a journey from knowing the name of Jesus to believing that Jesus is the Son of Man, a man from God, and he worshipped him. 
And so there's a question for us to think about and answer as well. Who do we say Jesus is? If you are new to church, uh, you may just uh, say that he is a man called Jesus. If you've been around a while, you might admit, like he did in verse 17, that there is something special about Jesus. You might be in a place where you are happy to sing and shout and pray that Jesus is the Son of Man. And if that is you, I want to ask you to consider who do your friends and family that don't know Jesus say Jesus is? I imagine, and I I think as I ask myself that, for a lot of my friends, I don't know because I've never asked them. But I reckon if they know you at all, They know that you're a Christian. They'll have thought something of Jesus. So why not ask them, who do you say Jesus is? And their answers will probably disappoint us. But I hope that this passage helps us to be patient with them. I think, again, of your own story, if you've come to faith in Jesus, of that story. For many of us in this room, that story probably involved years of coming to church and of hearing the gospel. Years and years of continually hearing about Jesus. It took me 13 years of coming to church and Sunday school and every other Christian thing my parents could possibly send me to for me to actually say that Jesus is Lord. And so for our friends who are grown-ups, it might still take 13 years. It might take longer. But I hope our own stories encourage us to keep on praying and keep on speaking to them of Jesus. That though right now they may not really care about him, they might just say he's a man called Jesus, that maybe one day they'll share the proclamation this man had and they'll be able to say Jesus is the Son of Man and worship him. To be gathered here again maybe in 20 years and to see people here singing with us that at the moment do not know Jesus but will then see him and worship him. Jesus took the disciples from their looking down on the man in needs to looking at those in need with compassion. Jesus uh, took a man born blind and healed and recreated his eyes. Jesus invited the Pharisees for healing, but they rejected him. Jesus also brought this man who was born blind to know and see that Jesus Christ is Lord. The final thing I want to say and highlight, uh, it comes out of my favorite part of sermon preparation. It is asking myself the question, what do I love most about Jesus from this passage? It's a, a great question to ask any time we read the Bible. What do we love most about Jesus from this passage? And what I love most about him from this is that I look forward to a day where he recreates my eyes. Now, I have eyes that work pretty well. I don't need glasses and I can see things. But I have eyes that are sometimes looking at Jesus, but so often look somewhere else and are not fixed on him. But because Jesus rose and because he will resurrect me, I know that one day I will have eyes that are purely fixed on the most beautiful sight anyone has ever seen as they behold Jesus Christ in glory. And my eyes do not flitter to the left or the right to look at other things, but they look squarely on Jesus Christ. 
And I hope there are many of you also who look forward to your eyes being recreated to look at Jesus. There are a few among us for whom right now our eyes do definitely not do what we want them to do. That they cannot see as they once did. But I want you to hear and to know that, there, that the next time your eyes work perfectly, they will be looking right at Jesus Christ in the face. The next image you see in full definition will be Jesus Christ your Lord. And what a day that is to look forward to. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to us. We thank you um, that he, uh, because he is God, was able to heal the blind man's eyes. Uh, We thank you also for how he taught uh, the disciples with all patience. Uh, to lead them towards a life that better reflected the love and compassion you have for all people. And Lord, we confess too that often we look down in some way on those in need. Lord, would you forgive us for that and help us to lead a life filled with your love and compassion for those who are suffering round about us. Would we meet them with the gifts that you have given us and would we meet them with the good news of Jesus Christ? That in their suffering, Jesus Christ came to them. That in his rising, we know that that suffering will have an end. And would we see, uh, out of people we know and people we don't know yet, would we see so many people uh, come to this admission, like the formerly blind man did, that you are Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man, and would they worship him? And would we be excited to join with them in doing that? And Lord, we look forward to the day of your son's return, where he completes his mission of making all things new, and we with perfect eyes behold his glory face to face. Lord, would you keep him at the center of our focus, and would we worship him and love him? Amen.